to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here, filling in for Dan Celia. I am the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the host of From His Heart Ministries, heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Well, I heard just uh, last night that Dan is doing better. He's still in the hospital, but he is doing better as he fights COVID pneumonia. And so God is answering our prayers as he is uh, making progress uh, each and every day. So continue to pray for Dan. Well, today we want to talk about a story of uh, redemption and a story of God's grace and God's power in in a life. You know, when I think about uh, God doing great and mighty things in an individual's life, I always go in my mind to the story of the Gadarene demoniac who had the legion of demons and the Lord cast out those demons and that man who was living in the tombs and, and uh, no one could get near him. He was so violent and no one could subdue him even with a chain. Well, the Lord delivers him. The Lord saves him. And that man wants to go with Jesus and the Lord didn't let him. And he said, uh, he said to this man, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And that man went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, those were the 10 cities, Gentile cities around the Sea of Galilee. He began to report what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. We have a special guest on the air with us today, a man who has a great testimony, a man who has seen God do so many great things in his life, and he's here to share it. And this is uh, the Reverend Raphael Cruz. He is the father of Ted Cruz. The first time I heard Raphael was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. And uh, he was speaking at a at a rally. And uh, I, I said to myself, well, I don't know if I'm voting for Ted, but if Raphael runs for anything, I'm voting for him because he so captivated my heart. Raphael, welcome. Welcome to the broadcast. Pastor Shreve, it's so great to be with you. Well, I appreciate you so much, my friend, and you have a great story to tell. God has done great things in your life, and so I wanted you to share that story with our listeners. Uh, Growing up in Cuba, what was that like for you? Well, it was uh, just a very normal life all the way to when I was 13 years old. I lived... uh, in a small town uh, next to the to the beach, and, and so my first thirteen years were very happy uh, childhood, uh, swimming and fishing. Then, when I was just turned thirteen, a very oppressive military dictatorship took over Cuba. They were, this was in 1952, and. Uh, they they just began uh, killing people. Uh, Twenty thousand people were killed that first year, and so I had just entered high school at the time, and uh, so at that time, a, about a year later, a a young man uh, talking about freedom uh, with a group of university students attacked an army headquarter in the eastern part of Cuba. Most of them were killed, but this man and his brother were arrested. His name was Fidel Castro. And he sounded like a freedom fighter. And uh, unfortunately, the government, uh, because of 
uh, connections that these uh, two kids had because of family connections. Instead of being in prison, they were sent into exile. And so Fidel Castro and his brother Raul from Mexico began starting to promote a revolution. And they sounded so good. I mean, Fidel sounded like uh, just an inspirational freedom fighter. And so the revolution got started with kids, high school kids and university kids. Initially, it was uh, mostly what was called the civic resistance, not too different than the uh, French resistance during the Second World War. And so as a teenager, I was involved in this uh, resistance movement, which was called the underground. Uh, as a result of that, just to uh, shorten the story, uh, I graduated from high school, uh, started university in the easternmost part in Cuba. This was in 1956. And uh, when I got to to Santiago, I reported to the underground there. And I remember in November the 30th of 1956, about a hundred of us university students were summoned to a meeting. And uh, we were told Fidel Castro is arriving tomorrow. And uh, he's going to attack the very same army headquarters that he had attacked years before unsuccessfully, and so they divided that group of kids into two groups of 50. 50 of them were to attack the police headquarters. The other 50 were to be support troops for Fidel Castro. I was in that second group. As I say, still thinking Fidel was... So the next morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, the 50 of us were scattered around that army Barracks. We didn't even have weapons because we were told Castro will bring us the weapons. Seven o'clock, a runner came by saying, abort, abort, Castro didn't land. Well, the other group did not get that memo. The group that was supposed to attack the police headquarters, and most of them were killed. And all of a sudden, I thought, well, I got lucky. I was, in, I was not in the wrong group. So uh, I... Ran, ran back to the boarding house I was staying. Of course, the city was in a frenzy. The army was, uh, army patrols were everywhere. So four of us decided that we needed to get out of the city. The university was shut down immediately. And so we started in a car trying to leave the city, and we were stopped by uh, an army patrol. And we were taken to that very same uh army got barrack that we were supposed to attack. I remember as they walked us in to that army barracks, the soldiers crying out to the, to the firing squad, to the firing squad. I thought that would be my last day on earth. Mm. But again, I thought I got lucky. They had arrested by mistake the son of an army major who went to college with us. He didn't know we were in the underground. We all cried out his name. He came and vouched for us, and they released us. And again, I said, oh, boy, did I get lucky. So we drove to our hometown 
about 500 miles away, and I resume my uh, duties with the underground there. Eight months later, I was arrested again, and this time I went through very severe torturing. I mean, it went, it was every four hours where you were beaten to a pulp, to the point that you were numb. And then about hours later, they would take me out of my cell and do it again. It's going to stay. And I touched the end of my life because typically when the Batista regime arrested somebody uh, presumed to be in the underground, two, three days later, that person would appear on the street shot with a pistol in their hands. And the headline was always the same. This person tried to attack an army patrol and they were killed in self-defense. But in my case, after several days in, in my cell, going through this torture, I was taken before the army uh, colonel. And the colonel said to me, we are going to release you. But if a bomb explodes in this city, we'll come to get you. I remember asking this colonel, Colonel, but how can I be responsible for what other people do. He said, I don't care. If a bomb explodes in this city, we're coming to get you. Hey, Rafael, Rafael, hold that thought. We got to take a break, but we're talking to Rafael Cruz, the father of Ted Cruz. He's sharing his amazing story of what God has done in his life. You don't want to miss it, so don't go away. following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy to manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. They say actions speak louder than words. Here at the American Family Association, we take that to heart. AFA Action is here to inform and help you get involved in cultural and moral issues. You can also sign up for our AFA Action Alert, which will inform you about these issues every week by email. To sign up and for more information, visit us at afaaction.net. Why are you still sitting there? If you want change, it starts with you. Listen to the French accent that she puts on when talking to these guys. We campaign with the plan. The plan. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the next president of the United States. Keto. Keto, you feel. Just doing a French does, accent. Does your dog bite? The plane, the plane. That too. Uh, all right, that's enough Kamala Harris supporting. Don't miss the next Today's Issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio.
And welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. I'm filling in for Dan Celia. We're talking to Rafael Cruz, the father of Texas Senator Ted Cruz, and we're hearing his amazing story. Rafael, I have a question as you were sharing about what was going on in Cuba. Um, was Batista bad from the start? Because you said your childhood was good, and then it then things changed in Cuba. W- what happened to cause that change? Oh, that was when, uh, in 1952, uh, Batista took power by coup d'etat. Uh, we had had a democratic government before that, so it was when I was 13 that he took over power. And from the very beginning, he started oppressing the people. He established a, a military regime. And so oh. it was very oppressive from day one. Okay. So that was, I mean, it was a dictatorship. It wasn't necessarily a communist dictatorship like Castro set up, though, right? No. Uh, it, it Actually, uh, the economy was very, very good. Cuba had a, a very vibrant economy because Cuba was the biggest exporter of sugar in the world. They produced over 10 million tons of sugar before Castro. So it had a very strong economy. And uh, so economically, people were okay. There was there was no food shortages, but there was a lot of corruption and a lot of oppression from, from the government. The soldiers trying to extort money from businesses and things of this sort. So it, Castro could really uh, hit a nerve and, and get people excited about, hey, we need to uh, do things good for the people and that, that kind of uh, uh, story and that yeah. kind of pitch? Castro was talking against the corruption of this regime, against the oppression of this uh, military that where they would come to a small business. For example, you had a little shop and maybe a little restaurant. And the soldier would come in and say, you know, uh, your restaurant would not pass a health inspection. Uh, I mean, if an inspector came here, they would shut you down. And then he said, you know, by the way, um, my family and I are thinking about going to Hawaii, but that's going to cost $5,000. And if you didn't give him $5,000, he'll shut your restaurant. And this type of uh, extortion was going on all over the country. And and then even beating people up, very much like uh, it, it happened in Chicago in the 19, in the 30s. Mm. Same sort of thing. So, so when you were telling your story about, they said if a bomb goes off, then then they were going to execute you. Well, the the thing is that is was part of what the underground did was. Uh, uh, sabotage and propaganda and so on and so forth and trying to disrupt communications. Uh, very, very, very similar to what the French underground did do it during the Second World War. Uh, there was a lot of sabotage that the underground was doing. So, so anyway, uh, going back to my story, my father picked me up from that army headquarters, took me home, and, uh, you know, I was all beaten up. My clothes were covered in blood. As you can imagine, my mother and my sister were hysterical. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I realized I couldn't stay at home and, and expose my parents uh, and my sister to it. Uh, shortly after I got home, a lady from the underground came by and said to me, 
uh, look, you're being followed. The reason they release you is so they can follow you and try to find out who your superiors are. You have to get out of the country. Well, I had been a straight-A student in high school, so I figured the easiest way to get out of the country was with a student visa. I applied to three universities in the United States. The University of Texas was the first one to accept me. And so with that acceptance letter, I was able to obtain a four-year student visa from the U.S. Embassy. And so I left Cuba in August of 1957 legally on a student visa and came to Texas, still thinking that Castro was a good guy. Now, I practically didn't have any money. I worked my way through school uh, as a dishwasher first. And after I learned some English, I became a cook. And I paid for the graduate uh, as a dishwasher and a cook. And then while I was going to grad school, I taught mathematics at the University of Texas. But when Castro took over, I went back to Cuba, and did I ever get a shock? That same man that had been talking about freedom was now putting pastors in prison, was uh, executing everybody that had not been loyal to the revolution. They had what they called people's tribunals. And they killed thousands upon thousands in in firing squads. They began confiscating private property, uh, not just big business, even small shops were confiscated. And anyone who was a professional was considered the rich, and they were attacked, many of them in prison. And And then they were talking about how the rich oppressed the poor, and about the need to redistribute the wealth. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, I saw a totally different picture than what I had been duped with with for years. So I only stayed in Cuba for three weeks, and I was able to get out of the country before the country was shut down, and came to this never to return. I'll tell you, all of a sudden, I realized that I had been uh, lied to, and I had been following a lie for years. Well, I finished my university. I I, uh, actually was very, very successful in business, got into the old business, was very successful, but my life was in shambles. In the midst of that success, I couldn't find any... uh, meaning for life, became a drunk. I would get out of work and uh, be in a bar until midnight practically every day. And this went on for years, to the point that in 1975, I was in Houston, Texas, by myself, at a bar, uh, just drowning myself in alcohol, and uh, I had a phone call from a man whom, uh, ha- who had sold me a computer, when computers were these big, humongous things that I used in my oil exploration business. And this man invited me to a Bible study at his home. Well, I had nothing to do, and I, so I said, yes, sure, I'll go. Well, I went to this Bible study. I, to this day, don't remember what the Bible study was about. 
what impressed me was what happened after the Bible study. They had a time of uh, prayer request. And I was shocked because all these people had problems. As a matter of fact, there was a lady that had lived with her son, and her son would beat her to get money for drugs. But yet with all these problems, every one of these people had a peace that I couldn't understand because I had no peace whatsoever. And it was that peace that made me realize these people had something I didn't have. So at the end of the Bible study, as I was leaving, the lady of the house said, uh, she gave me a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And he said, would you take this with you and read it? And would you come back next Tuesday? And I said, sure. So I went back the next Tuesday and uh, the next Monday, it was a Monday. And, uh, and she said, hey, did you read the booklet? I said, yes. What did you think of it? And I said, oh, that's too easy. It can't be that easy. <laughs> well, they were no Christians. They didn't know how to respond. But she said to me, instead of taking me to the man who led the Bible study, she said, would you come back tomorrow night? Our pastor is going to be here tomorrow night. I said, sure. So I went back the following night, 7 o'clock, and uh, I spent four hours arguing with this pastor. I mean, I was a scientist. No heck pastor was going to bamboozle me. So I spent four hours arguing with this pastor. Praise God for his endurance. At 11 o'clock at night, I remember the last question that I asked this pastor. Well, Brother Wiley, let me ask you a question. What about that man up in the mountains of Tibet who's never heard of Jesus? And this man very wisely didn't go chasing that rabbit, or we would have argued another hour. He looked at me in the eye and he said, tell you the truth, I don't know about that man up in the mountains of Tibet who's never heard of Jesus, but you've heard of Jesus. What's your excuse? And Pastor Trip, it was as if scales dropped off my eyes. All of a sudden, I had a revelation of who Jesus was. I dropped to my knees and I surrendered my life to Christ. That was August 15 of, two, uh, uh, of, uh, of 1975 at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. I surrendered my life to Christ. I Began, I was given a Bible. I was told, well, start reading in the Gospel of John. Well, they had to show me where the Gospel of John was because I've never opened a Bible in my life. So I began reading in the Gospel of John, get to chapter 2, and here is Jesus turning water into wine. So I said, well, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> so, I so I continued to drink, but now I was trying to drink quote, in moderation, because I thought I had an English to pray. Well, a couple of weeks later, I'm at the beach, drinking a beer, and uh, I drink this beer. I ordered the second beer. I had drank half of it. And all of a sudden, I take a sip of that beer, and it was the most awful taste you could ever think. I put that beer down. It was the last drink I ever had. And people have asked me when I said this testimony, 
Well, maybe it was a bad beer. No, there was nothing wrong with the beer. I had drank half of it. God changed the taste of that beer and took the desire uh, for alcohol away from me at the same time. I came home. I bar with that I pulled them off the painting. Three or four were still steel. I mean, the garbage people must have thought I had the biggest bash <laughs> in the world because I had a whole garbage can full of booze bottles. Amen. That Amen. Was- we're, ta- we're talking to Rafael Cruz. He's sharing his exciting testimony. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. I love this country. But can I tell you something? I love the Lord more than I love this country. And I love the body of Christ more than I love this country. So it is because I love you, frankly, I have to tell the truth. There are many that are more concerned with the consequences in our nation than we are about the cause. The Hamilton Quarter. Weekday afternoons at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Hi, this is Frank Turek. If you want to be better equipped to defend the truth and goodness of the gospel in a world filled with pandemics and natural disasters and utter confusion, join me, Richard Howe, Edward Graham, Hugh Ross, Jay Warner Wallace, and even John Cooper from Skillet at the 28th Annual National Conference on Christian Apologetics. It's April 8 to 9, but seats are limited, so register by going to ses.edu. Evolution in the womb? This is Ken Ham, inviting your family to visit our massive Noah's Ark in northern Kentucky. There's an idea that's still taught in textbooks that's been debunked for decades. What is it? Well, it's the idea that an unborn baby progresses through supposed evolutionary stages. Some textbooks continue to list gill slits and tails in human embryos as evidence for these supposed evolutionary stages. But the gill slits are just throat pouches. They'll form features such as the inner ears. And the tail isn't a tail, it's the coccyx or tailbone. It's where the muscles will eventually attach so the baby can sit, stand and walk. No, we don't go through evolutionary animal stages as we grow in a womb. That's a false idea based on evolution. Plan to tour the three decks of exhibits at the Ark Encounter after you visit our website, AnswersRadio.com. Your whole family will be equipped. Go to AnswersRadio.com. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she's like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about, about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister. There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse, and there is no one who knows you better. And this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net.
Hi, and welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. We're talking to Rafael Cruz. He is the father of Senator Ted Cruz, and he's sharing about how Jesus Christ has changed his life. So, Rafael, you came to Christ in 1975, and he began to change you from the inside out. Now, you're still single at this time. Is that right? No, 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 no. I uh, I was married. My uh, my son was four years old when I came to Christ, and uh, it uh, it was uh, revolutionary. It was uh, revolutionary. And by the way, you know, as you notice, I had been talking about how I got lucky, and I got lucky, and I got lucky because that's what I thought. And all of a sudden, after I came to Christ, I realized. It was the hand of God that had spared me. I should have been killed on several occasions when I was in the underground. But God had other plans for my life. Was. And so all of us realized the hand of that God, whom I didn't know, but he knew me. And he had plans for my life. So he just traumatized my life. I, uh, as I said before, I been very successful in in business. I, I had an oil exploration company, and that was very successful until 1986, uh, when uh, oil crashed from $35 a barrel to $7 a barrel, and it devastated the oil industry. And all of a sudden, I went in seven months from being a multimillionaire to losing everything I had, including my home. And uh, uh, and I'll tell you what, it was something that uh, was very shocking. And uh, But God used that to get me into the ministry. As a matter of fact, this is a very interesting story, because years before, I had some friends at church that were going to seminary uh, in Houston. They were going to... Uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary who, uh, that had an extension at Houston Baptist Seminary. And they said, well, why don't you come to seminary with us? Well, I was the president of my company. I had a, My time was very flexible, and I decided, well, I'm going to do that. And I go there to register, and one of the first questions they asked me is, uh, tell me about your call. Well, I got care because I didn't have a call. I just wanted to go to seminary to be a better Sunday school teacher. So I didn't register. I went to seminary as an auditor. I registered as an auditor, and I went through seminary, but as an auditor. So I don't have a seminary degree, even though I went to seminary. And, And I can see that as God trying to subdue my ego. I was a very arrogant individual. And so I can't boast of being Dr. So-and-so. I don't have a <laughs> seminary degree, but I have the knowledge. But anyway, my whole purpose was to be a better Sunday school teacher. So after I lose my business, uh, I'm trying to find out how to make a living. And I, of course, I knew the Bible very well. I had, I had become an avid student of the Bible since the time I became a Christian. So I, uh, I began translating Christian books from English to Spanish, and I did that for two public houses. Uh, and then uh, preachers that were doing 
pastors' conferences in Latin America would invite me to go with them and translate from the pulpit. And I did that in Nicaragua, in Costa Rica, in Mexico. And, and so uh, after I came back, those preachers started inviting me to preach at their churches. And that's how I got into the ministry. And uh, then uh, later on, I was ordained as a pastor uh, at, a, at a church that had a, a network of churches, and I became a, kind of a, a supply pastor for uh, churches, and, and I would travel through the network preaching at different churches. Uh, then I, uh, I had to—I uh, was sent to help a church that was having some challenges, and and I became co-pastor of that church for five years. And, and then, about 13 years ago, Lord uh, took me to 317. Son of man, I called you as a watchman on the wall, basically to do two things. Number one, to hear from me, that is to hear from God. And number two, to warn the people. And God gave me a mandate. 13 years ago, and he said to me, go tell my pastors to warn my people. And so 13 years ago, I began a ministry, which I'm still very active in, called Grace for America. And God called me to speak to pastors about why Christians and pastors need to be involved in every area of the civic society. Unfortunately, way too many pastors in America have divorced themselves from anything that they would excuse as being political. And I think that the problem we have in America of the decline in America is because of the failure of so many pastors to preach the whole counsel of God. And so we saw it. We go as far back as 1962 when prayer was removed from schools. And then a year later, in 1963, when the Bible was removed from schools, after these two abominable decisions, the church remained silent. Their excuse is a political issue. How can you call prayer? How can you call Bible study a political issue? But that's exactly what the church did. The consequence of that silence, teen pregnancy skyrocketed after 1963, and so did violent crime. Ten years later, uh, those nine unelected justices in the Supreme Court decided that a baby in the womb did not have that unalienable right to life from our Creator, and they legalized abortion. Again, the church remained silent. Same excuse. It's a political issue. Sixty-two million babies have been murdered by abortion in America since 1973. And then in 2015, when that Supreme Court said that God got it wrong when he said in Genesis 1:27, for this reason shall a man, they said, let us create man and woman in our image. In the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. And then... God said, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his own wife, and the two shall be made one flesh. And they threw that out, and marriage should be whatever you think it could be. And 
my question is, how long is the church going to be silent? But that's a much more important question, and it is this. Is God going to make us responsible for our silence? Mm. Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. And his mm. next statement is very sobering. He said, God will not hold us guiltless. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And the problem, uh, from my point of view, is that too many pastors have given the excuse, well, God just called me to preach the gospel. But the gospel is a lot more than John 3.16. Jesus addressed a lot of issues, uh, every issue in society. And it is not biblical for us to hide behind the pulpit and not preach the whole counsel of God. Because if the shepherd is not leading the sheep, the sheep are scattered like sheep. Mm. That is so true. Well, Rafael, what kind of a reception do you get with pastors when you challenge them to start standing up and speaking up on these issues? I wish I could say I get a 100% positive response. I do not, but I get a great response. And uh, praise God, over the last 13 years, I have brought this message to over 350 pastors' conferences and over 400 churches all across America. And I'll tell you, Proverbs uh, 29, 2 tells us, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked beareth rule, people mourn. But if the righteous, the people that have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ and are following him, if those people are not voting, are not even running for office, then what's left? The wicked electing the wicked. And we get what we deserve. And, and, and what has happened is that too many pastors have just rationalized that they are just supposed to be tickling men's and women's ears. Unfortunately, the biggest challenge we have in Christian today is what are called seeker-friendly churches. And that is a, a, a synonym for tickle men's and women's ears. And there are pastors that will not challenge anything. They just want people comfortable because they don't want anybody to get upset and leave and consequently offerings go down, and so they dilute the message of the gospel on behalf of keeping, not making any waves. And I'll tell you what, that is not Jesus. Jesus confronted the political establishment, the, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the priesthood, the high priest, the king. They were all the political establishment in the time of Jesus. They were puppets of Rome. They even had to prostitute their religion to accommodate Caesar as a god, or it would be their head. So Caesar, I mean, who did Jesus call a generation of vipers? That's right. Why We're talking to Rafael Cruz. He's sharing a, a powerful message, his testimony, and then a message to all of us as Christians to get involved. We're taking a quick break. Don't go away. Can we try?
trust the Bible. He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks, the important documentary from the American Family Association, is now available to watch for free on AFA's brand new streaming platform. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to watch this award-winning film today. TheGodWhoSpeaks.org What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan, Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Hi, and welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. I'm talking to Raphael Cruz. Raphael is a man who loves Jesus. He loves his family, and he loves America. He is the father of Ted Cruz, Texas Senator Ted Cruz. And uh, Raphael, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, your son is very outspoken, and he stands up for biblical values, and he too loves the Lord. Uh, how is it when you see him uh, in the public eye getting lambasted and and castigated uh, as a dad? Uh, how do you handle that? Well, Pastor Shreve, uh, we need to understand that uh Jesus even said that we will be persecuted for our faith. And I would say, uh, if we are not being persecuted, we better check our Christian walk. I mean, the devil is not going to bother with somebody who is not making an impact in the kingdom of God. But if you make an impact, the devil is going to come against you. But greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. I mean, uh, he sees that persecution and that attack the same way I see it. It is just a confirmation that we are on the right track, and the enemy doesn't like it. And, uh, you know, the John 10.10, 10, uh, Jesus said the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But then he said, I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Yes, the enemy is present. I am not concerned about the attack of the enemy because uh, that just makes me realize I am making an impact in the kingdom of God, and the devil doesn't like it. 
But I'll tell you, if we have a responsibility, I think that, the, you know, the Word of God says to whom much is given, much is required. And I think the more revelation from God we have, the more our responsibility to share that revelation with others. You know, when, when we realize the gift that America is to us, I mean, I am so proud to be an American. I love this country with a passion for a couple of reasons. Number one, I've seen the other side. I've seen uh, life without liberty. And, uh, but then I'm a student of American history, and America was founded as a Christian country. Before the pilgrims got off the boat, they penned the boat. They penned the document called the Mayflower Compact. It began by stating the purpose of America for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That was our stated purpose. America was birthed on the Word of God. It was the first great awakening. Pastors like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and many others that were the spark that ignited the American Revolution. I mean, people are so ignorant of American history. If you look at the Declaration of Independence, I count 26 grievances against King George in the Declaration. Each and every one of those grievances were preached in the churches of America for 10 years before Jefferson penned them on the Declaration. My friend David Barton says you could consider the Declaration as a series of sermon summaries. Pastors were at the forefront of the American Revolution. And the question that begs an answer is, where are those pastors today? Well, way too many of them are hiding behind their pulpits, scared to death of not being politically correct. But it is about time we become biblically correct instead of politically correct. And again, to whom much is given, much is required. We have a responsibility to be shepherds. And I'll tell you, if we look at what is happening in America today, our freedoms are being taken away one by one by one. We saw it with the excuse with this COVID of shutting down churches across America and trying to curtail the propagation of the gospel. But God will have us at the last word. And I'll tell you, Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, and we need to be bold and preach the whole counsel of God and realize that God has called us for such a time as this. I believe that times of persecution are times where people can reset their priorities and realize that we must redeem the time for the cause of Christ. And that means in every area. God wants us to be salt and light in every area of society, not just inside the church, but out in society, in education, in business, in government, in every area of society. You know, uh, it is something that I I see, and and it pains me to see people, well, I don't want to get involved in politics. Politics is a dirty business. Why is it a dirty business? Because the people of principle are staying away from it. Mm-hmm. We need to redeem it. We need for people of principle to be at the polls. Let me tell you, here in Texas today, we're in the middle of uh, early voting. Our primary ends on Tuesday, and I'm encouraging every person of faith 
to go vote and vote for candidates that uphold the Judeo-Christian principles upon which this country was built. We have a responsibility. You know, uh, God spoke through Jethro to Moses. And in Exodus 18:21, God tells Moses exactly who we should vote for. He said, you select able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. There he gives us four qualifications. Able men, that means people are capable to, to doing the job, such as fear God, people that are committed to the Lord completely. We ought to be voting for Christians. We ought to be having Christians in every position in public office. We need to have more Sunday school teachers and pastors and, and, and Bible teachers running for public office and bringing the message of the gospel to, to government and Amen. govern in accordance with the Word of God. And uh, so I'm encouraging people of faith to get involved, not only in voting, but also in running for office in our area. You know, one of the things that has been happening that is destroying America is the public school system where they're brainwashing our children with secular humanism and Marxism. And in Texas, we had a, a school board uh, preaching all this garbage, seven liberals in the school board. All of a sudden, a group of Christians got together, mobilized the churches. There were four positions open in the school board. They got four committed Christians elected, 70-30, and they changed that school board. That got national attention. Now there are over 200 school boards across the country being challenged by Christians trying to say, enough is enough. I don't want my children brainwashed with all this secular humanism and Marxism, anti-Christian teaching that's going on in the public schools, to the point that schools are telling parents that they have no right to know what they're teaching the children. We have a responsibility. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. So as Christians, we have a responsibility to make sure that our children are educated in biblical values. And we cannot do that if we do not become part of what's happening in every area of the civic society. God calls us to be salt and light in every area. And that includes government. That means I encourage, I have friends, I have a friend that is a pastor, that he was a state representative for six years, continues to be a pastor. He's a county judge now. He continues to be a pastor, and he's bringing biblical principles to the civic society. I know many pastors that are city councilmen, that are running for school board, and praise God for that. We Amen. need to be preaching the whole counsel of God, Pastor Shreve. Amen. I totally agree, and I love your heart and your fire. Let me just encourage our listeners. Um, I, I second what Raphael just said. You need to get out and vote. And uh, American Family Radio has myfaithvotes.org. 
And if you go there, myfaithvotes.org, you can click on your state, your area, and find out uh, how conservative are these people that are running for office? What do they believe about this issue and that issue? Because we want to be informed voters, and we don't want to just go in there and say, oh, I don't know any of these guys. I guess I'll just, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." So we need to be informed, and we need to get involved, and we need to vote. Now, Raphael, let me ask you, uh, just as we get ready in just next couple of minutes to close out the broadcast, your son, Ted, is on the front lines and on the front lines, you're you're getting shot out a lot. How can we pray for him? Best pray for him. Well, pray for wisdom, pray that God will give them the words to be able to speak clearly, pray that the Holy Spirit will direct his word and his message at his And, uh, you know, pray for protection, because uh, he's had a bunch of even death threats from people that are irate that he is calling them out and and exposing them. So, uh, and, uh, you know, praise God that uh, he is a strong believer, and pray for the peace of God that will rule his heart, because he is constantly. Amen. Well, we appreciate what he does. We appreciate what you do. Uh, tell the view, tell the listeners very quickly, Raphael, how can they get in touch with you if they want to maybe bring you to their church? What's the uh, mechanism to do that? Well, uh, uh, write an email to Grace for America, graceforamerica at gmail.com. And uh, I speak at churches all across America and pastors' conferences. I'll be delighted to come to your church, graceforamerica at gmail.com. And thank you, and let's make sure that America continues to be that shining city on a hill to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rafael Cruz. Shine and share this day and make uh, make your Lord known in Jesus' name. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.